What's going on, guys? My name is Ivan Fletcher, and you are currently tuned into But the Santa Sportscast by yours truly. Now, before we dive into the material about what we're going to be covering, I just want to briefly introduce who I am for those of you who do not know who I am. So, like I said, my name is Ivan Fletcher. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Specifically, where I'm from is from New Kensington, Pennsylvania. It's a small little town right outside of Pittsburgh. And why I decided to do podcasts and begin with is, one, because I have a lot more time on my hands. You know, I'm really into sports, and this is something I really find enjoyable to do. So without further ado, I'm just going to give you guys kind of a overview of the topics we'll be covering in this podcast. So the first topic we're going to be covering is the NBA season. You know, it's just began. There's a lot of offseason acquisitions that happened. There's a lot of things in general that happened in this NBA season so far, and it just began. And it's something I want to touch base on a little bit. So the next topic we're going to be covering is the NFL season, how that's kind of played out so far. You know, we're like in the middle of it. And I just want to touch base on some of the things that's happened so far. You know, give you guys some of my predictions on who's going to be in the Super Bowl and all that stuff. So the next topic we're going to be covering is pound for pound, top 10 fighters in the UFC. Shout out to my guys that are into that stuff. MMA, mixed martial arts, boxing, all that stuff. You guys got me into it and I'm super excited about talking about it. So the next topic that we're going to be covering is college football and college hoops. I kind of have both of those topics intertwined because they're both college related. Uh, for college football, we're going to be talking about how the season has kind of played out just like the NFL season. I'm going to give you guys some of my predictions on the top four teams in the playoffs, who's possibly going to make it and who's going to shine. And for college hoops, I'm going to briefly go over this mainly because it hasn't started yet. And I know this isn't as popular as college football, but I kind of want to give you guys some of my predictions on who's going to make a good run in the tournament, some of the players to watch for and all that stuff. And finally, the last topic we're going to be discussing is going to be playoff baseball. Now, I'm not going to touch too deep into this, mainly because playoffs just ended. The World Series and the whole season just ended with the Astros losing to the Nationals 4-3 in the World Series. And without further ado, let's get started. So I want to start with the NBA season, the 2019-2020 season. You know, we've seen a lot of stuff go down, offseason signings and trades that happened. We got D'Angelo Russell going to Golden State. You got KD and Kyrie going to the Brooklyn Nets. You also got Russell Westbrook going to the Rockets, pairing up with James Harden. And then, of course, you got your typical Kawhi, Leonard, and Paul George going to the Clippers. Seems crazy, isn't it? Well, it really is. If you ask me, this is going to be a really good NBA season. It's been a real good start so far, and I plan on it to being a very good ending as well. Some things I want to touch base on about the NBA season, I'm going to give you guys my predictions on Rookie of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, MVP, Most Improved, basically all the basic awards that you see here and there. So starting with Rookie of the Year, I have three potential candidates that could win it. One of them being Zion Williamson, one of them being Jean Morant, and the other being R.J. Barrett. Now, if I were to decide between those three who I feel is going to win Rookie of the Year, I'm probably going to have to go with Zion Williamson, mainly because he has the potential. They all three have potential to be great in the league. But as far as ceiling goes, I'm going to have to go with Zion having the highest ceiling, mainly because of his athleticism. And if you watch him play at Duke, he's just an absolute monster. Now, don't get me wrong. With him playing alongside of R.J. Barrett at Duke, R.J. Barrett was a beast. And John Morant playing at Murray State, he was an absolute beast. I I got the liberty of watching him in the tournament, and he was just slaying people left and right. This dude's a legitimate baller, don't get me wrong. If Zion Williamson, in my opinion, does not win it, I'm going to have to give the nod to Ja Morant. If you, like I said, if you've seen either one of those play, either one of them can win Rookie of the Year. My guy, RJ Barrett, can certainly win it. But if I were to have to pick, like I said, I'm going to have to go with Zion Williamson on this one. Seems like the safer pick. Now, 
Zion is currently out with, I believe, is a torn meniscus, which should sideline him for at least six weeks, I believe. Not quite sure. But do I think that's enough to tarnish his rookie campaign? Not really. I think he could come back and still dominate like everyone predicts him to. So on to the next award that I want to talk about is Defensive Player of the Year. This is an award that kind of just flops back and forth between players. You know, you got your great defenders in Rudy Gobert, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, just a bunch of other players in general. But if I'm going to have to pick one person to win Defensive Player of the Year this year, it's probably going to be Kawhi Leonard. And why I feel Kawhi Leonard is going to win it is because from what I've seen since I started watching basketball, Kawhi Leonard is basically the most consistent defender this league has seen in years. Now, don't get me wrong, Rudy Gobert is a beast. I'm pretty sure he actually won back-to-back Defensive Player of the Year titles. I could be wrong about that, but something along the lines with that. And Paul George. Paul George has been playing tremendous defense, especially over the past few years. The fact that Kawhi and Paul George are on the same team, that's pretty scary if you ask me. On defense, it's going to be nuts. So in terms of Defensive Player of the Year, like I said, it's it's a toss-up between a bunch of players. But if I had to pick one, I'm going to have to go with Kawhi Leonard, mainly because like I said, he's very consistent. That's probably his best basketball trait, which is playing defense. Sometimes he's his defense overshadows his offense, and that only goes to show how good he is on defense. So for Defensive Player of the Year, I'm going to have to go with my man Kawhi Leonard. Now, most improved player. Most improved player is very tricky because there's a difference between most improved and comeback player of the year. I'm almost positive there's no comeback player of the year for NBA. I know there is for NFL, but... For most improved, it's very, very tricky. There's a lot of candidates, in my opinion, for that. Pascal Siakam, who just won most improved, I believe. Victor Oladipo is very, very talented and has a chance to winning most improved. There's just a lot of players that you can definitely choose from. For most improved, that's something I'm going to have to think about. If I had to, if I had to pick most improved player of the year, it would probably be D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell can certainly win it. Now, why I say D'Angelo Russell of the Golden State Warriors is because I just recently found out Steph broke his hand. Now, with him breaking his hand, it's probably evident that D'Angelo Russell is going to be the main focal point of that Golden State Warriors team, at least until he comes back. Can he improve his statistics? Absolutely. Even though he probably had his greatest season out of his whole entire career with the Brooklyn Nets last year, but can he certainly improve? Absolutely. Absolutely, he can improve. So, for most improved, it's a toss-up, but I'm going to have to go with D'Angelo Russell. I haven't really done my research on players who actually improved, but just off the top of my head, I'm going to have to go with D'Angelo Russell. He's pretty good. He's improving definitely every year since he's been playing at Ohio State in college. I'm going to have to give him the nod. So, the last award that I want to talk about is MVP, the most valuable player of the league. So, at first... I kind of wanted to give the title to Steph Curry for winning MVP. And why I chose Steph Curry to begin with was because with the absence of Kevin Durant, you know, with Klay Thompson healing his ACL until he comes back for around playoffs, Steph Curry has an opportunity to explode. Steph Curry has an opportunity to show why he's one of the greatest players to ever live. But with him breaking his hand, you know, that's just... That's just throwing salt in the wound. You know, I'm not sure how he's going to recover from that. My guess would be he's going to come back good as new. Um, 
So he was my pick, but what I'm going to have to transition my pick to is LeBron James. And why I say LeBron James is because they gave that man a whole Anthony Davis. How do you give LeBron James, one of the greatest players to ever live, in Anthony Davis and not expect him to improve his numbers? His assist numbers are certainly going to improve. His plus-minus efficiency is probably going to improve. We're not worried about LeBron James being able to score. He can score at will. LeBron James is is 6'8". He can get almost any rebound at any time. We're not worried about that. But the main reason why I want to say LeBron James can win MVP is because a lot of people doubt him. A lot of people are convinced that last year was his downfall. Was what you could basically say the year before that was his peak and everything on is going to be downhill. I disagree with that mainly because we've never in in probably sports history never seen someone as athletic and as durable as LeBron James. It's very controversial and it's something that definitely can be talked about, but I could definitely see him having a breakout year. And if you watch LeBron James, he essentially has a breakout year every year. So for me to say he's going to have a breakout year, you know he's going to do the damn thing. So for my pick for MVP, I'm going to have to go with LeBron James. I'm sure some of you might disagree. Some of you might have your own opinion, but that's okay. So the next little topic that I want to talk about in the NBA is my playoff predictions. So this is a little bit controversial. I'm not going to list each seed of each conference of who is going to, who I think is going to be one, two, three, four, et cetera, et cetera. But what I will tell you is my top three teams in the East, I would say who will make a serious run for the finals are the Milwaukee Bucks, the Boston Celtics, and the Philadelphia 76ers. One exception, one exceptional team that I think that can make a push, but probably won't make finals is the Indiana Pacers, excuse me. The reason why I'm high on the Indiana Pacers is because I've always been. You know, they got Victor Oladipo. He suffered an injury last year that took him out the entire season. But Victor Oladipo's a baller. And, you know, the Pacers don't have any other player that's extravagant or all-star caliber like Victor Oladipo. But they got a bunch of slightly above average players. Some of them are even good. Well, of course they're good. They made it to NBA, but... As far as comparing the Pacers to the Sixers, Bucks, and Celtics, it's just not going to happen. They can make a playoff push, but it won't be that far. So, with that being said, who I think will make the finals out of those three, to me it's going to become between the Milwaukee Bucks and... I'm going to have to go with the Philadelphia 76ers. Look, the Philadelphia 76ers have a complete team. As far as starting five, they're very complete. They got a great starting five. It's probably the best starting five you've seen in Philadelphia history. Philadelphia 76er history. That's no cap at all. But with the Milwaukee Bucks, you you kind of seen the strides they made last year. And I think Giannis, Chris Middleton, and everyone else on the Bucks is ready to make a even bigger stride into the finals. Now, how they'll perform in the finals, has to wait and be seen. We don't know. The 76ers could very well make the finals, though. I think anyone who watches the NBA knows that, but it's going to come down to those two regardless, the Philadelphia 76ers and the Milwaukee Bucks. So, don't get me wrong, the Boston Celtics definitely are going to have a say. They have talent on their team. They got a good coach in Brad Stevens, trust me. I think they'll definitely have a say-so. But when it comes down to the final two, I'm going to have to go with Philly and Milwaukee. 
Now, out of those two teams who I feel like that can make the finals, I'm going to have to go with the Milwaukee Bucks. They seem more prepared, more ready to take on a finals opponent than the Philadelphia 76ers do. And the main reason why I don't have that much faith in the Philadelphia 76ers is mainly because of Brett Brown. I haven't seen enough of him. He's been coaching that team for how long now and has shit ton of talent on that team, but what does he do with it? You know what I mean? The Bucks got Mike Budenholzer, who's been proven to be a great coach. He won Coach of the Year with the Atlanta Hawks, I believe. So he has that caliber. He has that I-can-coach mentality, and his players believe in that. So with that being said, I can definitely see all that being collectively taken into consideration. I'm going to take the Milwaukee Bucks to come out of the East. <clears throat> so the three teams that I have coming out of the West, a little bit trickier because the West is definitely more competitive it has been more competitive since five, six years ago. As long as I can remember, they've been more competitive than the Eastern Conference. But if I had to pick three teams to possibly make the finals, who I bet the best three teams that have the best chance of making the finals out in the West, I'm going to have to go with the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm going to have to go with the Los Angeles Clippers and the Houston Rockets. Now, as I said before, the Western Conference is very competitive, so it was a very hard time for me to decide who I think out of the three could make the finals. You know, you got your honorable mentions like Golden State. If Steph didn't injure his hand, and you know, and they get Klay Thompson back at a reasonable time, who says the Warriors couldn't make the finals? You know, I see a lot of people, a lot of analysts writing off the Warriors as if they still don't have a whole Steph Curry. Clay Thompson, you do you realize, do you guys realize Steph Curry and Clay Thompson are top five greatest shooters to ever live? And you mean to tell me that having those two on your team, you have no shot at even making the finals, let alone winning it? I think that's a little bit ridiculous, guys. So if I had to pick the three teams that come out the West, it's going to be Clippers, Lakers, and Rockets. I'm actually real interested to see how Russell Westbrook and James Harden fare throughout the season. I know they're playing decent right now, but that's just the beginning of the season. I'd like to see how the Rockets are sitting at 30, 40 games in the season. Let's, let's see where they are then. I believe everyone kind of has an idea of what the Clippers and Lakers are going to do. But like I said, the Rockets are an interesting team just because of the addition of Russell Westbrook. I, I've never really been a fan of Russell Westbrook. You know, he could never really get the job done with the Thunder. A lot of people kind of backed him up, but I think a lot of people are starting to realize that Russell Westbrook just isn't as good as he portrays himself to be. I think he's good. Is he good enough to win a title? Absolutely. He definitely has to change the way he plays, especially with playing with James Harden now. So back to my predictions on the Western Conference. If I'm going to have to pick one team to come out of that, three teams that I chose, it's probably going to be one of the LA teams. I think that's what a lot of people are picking just because they like, just because what you see on the roster, what you see on paper. Now, obviously, you can't just go based off what you see on paper. you got to see a little bit more out of them. There's only, what, like four or five games into the season, so it's a small sample size. We really can't tell. But if I had to pick, if I had to make an early prediction right now, I'm going to go with the Clippers. I just think the Clippers are a more fundamentally sound team than the L.A. Lakers. Don't get me wrong. Lakers got a good coach in Frank Vogel, but they don't got a Doc Rivers for the Clippers. Doc Rivers is that dude. Any of you guys watch basketball, you guys know Doc Rivers knows his shit. He's done the damn thing with Boston. 
He's certainly, certainly wanting to do the damn thing with the Clippers as well. And I believe he has the manpower to do so. I believe the Clippers were... The Clippers were about a 46 to a 48 win team last year. Can't remember exactly how many wins, but it was definitely in the 40, 40 area. You take that same team that made playoffs and took Golden State to six games, and you add Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to that mix. I don't see how. I I just I I don't see how they don't make the finals. Now. You guys heard me earlier in this podcast. I'm very high on LeBron James and Anthony Davis being teammates. I think a lot of people are. Those two are going to be studs. When it comes to having a pure team, you got to have more than two people. Everyone knows that. The Clippers got it, man. They got Patrick Beverly. They got six men of the year, Lou Williams. They got They got everything that the Lakers need. Now, don't get me wrong. The Lakers got players on their team. They got ballers. But I just think when it comes to winning, the Clippers have it. Especially winning at all, I'm going to have to go with the Clippers. So my finals matchup, my prediction is set with Milwaukee Bucks versus the Los Angeles Clippers. Who I think will win out of that in a seven-game series? It's very tough. I, it, I It's going to be very hard for me to decide. But if I had to decide on the spot, I'm going to have to go with the Clippers. Like, I, 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 I want to see Giannis win it all, mainly because he deserves it. They don't call him the Greek freak for nothing. But at the same time, they just don't seem ready. They don't seem experienced enough. I think that's part of the reason why you've seen Toronto beat them last year. When Milwaukee was up to nothing, everyone was writing off Toronto. Everyone was, including myself. Yep, I was too. You guys were up to nothing. And you guys lose four straight games. Let that sink in. You lost four straight games. That shows a lot about your experience in the playoffs in general. If you think LeBron James was up to nothing, if you think LeBron James and LA Lakers was up to nothing, you really think they would give up that lead? I mean, we've seen big leads been given up before. You know, the Cavaliers were down 3-1 a couple finals ago. But we're not talking about that. This is Milwaukee Bucks versus Los Angeles Clippers. I'm going to have to take the Los Angeles Clippers in a seven-game series. Could the series go to seven games? Absolutely. I'll probably be damned if it doesn't. I'm probably going to have to go with the Clippers, ladies and gentlemen. The Clippers, just like I said, they seem more of a fundamentally sound team. They got the coach. They got the players. They got the defense. They got the offense. They got everything you would need in a championship-caliber team. That's just my opinion. That's just one man's opinion. So the next topic I want to cover, talking about the NBA season, is my guy Carmelo Anthony. For those of you who know me, you know me personally, you know damn well Carmelo Anthony is my favorite player in the history of the league. So you know this is something I'm going to be talking about. I had a conversation with my friend the other day, and we were talking about how Vince Carter has been in the league for so long, 20 plus years, I think it's about 22 years, and we had this conversation we're sitting there, hey, you know, Vince Carter, Vince Carter got a lot of fans. Vince Carter, he's loved by a lot of people. Rightfully so. He's one of the, he, he's, you want to be technical, he is one of the best players to ever do it. He's probably not top 15, top 20, top 30. But everybody knows who Vince Carter is. With that being said, 
everybody knows who Carmelo Anthony is, whether they like him or not. And the conversation I had with my friend the other day was, you know, why is Vince Carter, why is Vince Carter loved so much, yet he's never really done anything but win a dunk contest? You know, he's, I, I don't know how many he's won specifically, but you got to think, like, this man has been in the league for over 20 years. He's been on several different teams. And you mean to tell me you don't have one championship? Now, I'm not going to get on him about that. It takes more than one man to win a championship. But the point that I'm bringing up is Vince Carter is loved by everybody. Anybody who's a fan of basketball, NBA in general, everybody loves Vince Carter. I've never heard one person ever criticize Vince Carter for anything. I never heard one person say, oh, I hate Vince Carter. He's not good, blah, 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 whatever. Nothing has ever come out about negative about Vince Carter. But Carmelo Anthony has faced the most scrutiny out of any NBA player I've ever seen in my life. And for what? For what? What did he do? Win a scoring title? He's been to the playoffs multiple times. He's made playoffs. He's had successful teams. He's had winning teams. Carmelo Anthony is better than Vince Carter in almost every facet of the game other than dunking. Yeah, you could pick on Melo for his defense. But Melo has it all. He can score in the paint, score in the perimeter, he creates his own shot. When it comes to basketball, Carmelo Anthony is flat out better, yet everyone hates him. Everyone criticizes him for, oh, he doesn't have a ring. Oh, everyone got their letterman's jacket and got all their little bling on it, and Melo just has that one little scoring title thing. Oh, fucking well. Get off the man's dick. Only reason why I'm getting hyped is because the scrutiny is crazy. You guys flame this man forever and ever and ever. And for what? For what? He's still a Hall of Famer at the end of the day. When his career is over, he's going to be considered one of the greatest scorers in NBA history. And that's a fact. All I'm saying is, stop the mellow hate. It's unnecessary. So the last topic that I want to talk about in regards to basketball is Zion frickin' Williamson. As stated before earlier in this podcast, I stated that he tore his meniscus. I believe it was his meniscus, which caused him to be out for six weeks. Roughly six weeks. Could it be more, could it be less. I'm not sure. I'm not a doctor. Will that impact him in any way, shape, or form? I hope not. For his sake, I hope not. Mainly because... If this meniscus turns out to be some sort of like a reoccurring thing to the point where he's constantly getting injured like Derrick Rose, I'm telling you now, ladies and gentlemen, he'll be the biggest bust in NBA history. He will be the biggest bust. He'll be a bigger bust than Greg Oden. He'll be a bigger bust than Anthony Bennett from the cat. I believe that's his name, Anthony Bennett. He'll be a bigger bust than Markel Fultz. Any bust you can think of in basketball, he will be way bigger than. That's all I have to talk about for the NBA. Moving on to the next subject, we're going to be talking about the NFL season, how that's kind of played out. You know, there's some teams that kind of surprised me so far, which is nothing new. The 49ers are 7-0, and ladies and gentlemen. They got an upcoming game against the Cardinals. If I were to... If I were to guess who would win that game, probably be the 49ers, which would make them 
The Buffalo Bills are 5-2. and two. Now, why I say they're surprising is because, you know, everyone just kind of writes them off as being at the bottom of the barrel of the AFC East, and they're sitting at 5-2 and two with Josh Allen as their quarterback. I don't know how I feel about Josh Allen. That's a debate for another day. But anyways, the Carolina Panthers are currently sitting at 4-3. and three. Now, why I say they're surprising is because they're doing it without Cam Newton. And Christian McCaffrey is a baller. Didn't expect this kind of workload from him, but he's a beast. I don't care what anyone says. He's a flat-out beast. So some of the teams that I want to point out that are very disappointing to me are the 1-7 Atlanta Falcons. What are y'all doing? What are y'all doing out there in Atlanta, man? 1-7? 1-7 Listen, they got all this talent on their team, too. They got Julio Jones, man. They got one of the best receiving corps in the league. And you mean to tell me y'all are 1-7? Division is kind of competitive, so I can see why you guys are a little lackluster. But at the same time, 1-7? Y'all are better than 1-7, man. Come on. The next team I want to talk about that are very disappointing, the Cleveland motherfucking Browns. They were the story of the century this year. Everyone talking about, ooh, they're going to the Super Bowl. Ooh, they're going to win the AFC North. Ooh, shut up. Enough of that. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I was one of those people that felt they were going to win more games than a lot of people gave them credit for. Yeah, I had them winning nine games. Possibly even ten. But with the roster that they have, you look at them on paper, they are nuts. They are wild. On paper, they probably have the best roster in the NFL. But nobody cares about that. Don't nobody care about that on paper bullshit. I'll tell you this right now. The Cleveland Browns, they've been miserable. They've been bottom of the barrel mediocre for as long as I've been alive. For as long as I've been paying attention to football. I would actually like to see the Cleveland Browns turn it around for once in their lives. They deserve it. So moving on to the final team that has been very disappointing to me. For those of you who know me personally, this is going to make me very sad saying this. But the Los Angeles Chargers are very, 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 very disappointing. Granted, if you watch them, you will know that they suffer from injuries more than anyone else in the league. Sad and all, it's, it sucks, trust me. There's no excuse. Next man up. Why, guy, why, why, can't these, why can't these guys have that mentality? That's the mentality they need. Obviously, they need it. It's because every year that comes around, their players are dropping like flies due to injuries. And these aren't just little sprained thumbs. These aren't bruised hamstrings. No, these are brutal-ass injuries like torn ACLs, broken, fractured kneecaps. Worst injuries you can think of, it happens to the Chargers every year. I'm not sticking up for them in any way, shape, or form. But they're currently sitting at 3 of 5. I believe they're at the bottom of the AFC West. You ask me, I expected a lot better from them. Even with all the injuries, I expect better. So moving on to the next topic of the NFL, I kind of want to talk about some of the players that have been standing out to me. I'm not going to be talking about teams. We're going to be talking about players that's standing out and one player that's really not playing well. So starting with the players that are playing very well. I'm going to start with Russell Wilson, man. Talk about MVP caliber. My man has over 1,900 yards, about 15 touchdowns, and only one interception. That's about midway through the season. If that doesn't scream MVP, I don't know what does. Russell Wilson has been a baller his whole life, though. Did I expect him to go hard this year like this? Absolutely not. 
Can he win MVP? Absolutely. He's just so he's just a player that I wanted to recognize. Someone I wanted to bring up. The next player that I wanted to bring up is Christian McCaffrey. My man is sitting at over 600 yards carrying the ball. There's roughly 300 yards receiving and a total of nine touchdowns. This man is a workhorse. He is the definition of a workhorse. I actually had a discussion with one of my friends the other day about who is currently better, Christian McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley. If I'm going to go with who's better now, you have to pick Christian McCaffrey. He's playing like a beast right now. He's shattering a lot of running back records. And let's be honest, when he came into the league, didn't nobody think he was going to be this good, including myself. Never would have thought Christian McCaffrey would be this good. Never. This man's a beast, ladies and gentlemen. You better recognize. So the, the one player that I wanted to bring up that really isn't playing too well, that needs to be addressed, is a good old running back from the Los Angeles Rams, Todd Gurley. No, he is not having a good year. And his reason why I'm bringing him up is because he needs to be playing better. He needs to play better for that team. That team, the Los Angeles Rams, is very talented. He's the main reason why they are the way they are. He's the reason why they made it to the Super Bowl. He's the main reason why they made it to the Super Bowl last year. Dude turns out yards like it's fucking nothing. You look at his stats now, he only has only a little over 300 yards rushing. Man's only got about 80 yards receiving and only six touchdowns through the entire season so far. Mind you, the season's halfway over. Guys, Todd Gurley got to step it up. I have a friend who's a Rams fan. I, I can understand he's beside himself when he's not playing well. But guys, he needs to step it up. That's all I'm going to say. So that's it for the NFL topic. I'm going to be moving on to the UFC topic. What I wanted to talk about is the top 10 pound-for-pound fighters in the UFC. This is something that's very controversial. This is something that a lot of my friends like to talk about. So this is something that I wouldn't want to talk about. So according to UFC, their top 10 goes as follows. We got number 10. We got Kamaru Usman. We got Tony Ferguson. Israel Adesanya. Max Holloway, Daniel Cormier, Amanda Nunes, Stipe Miocic, Henry Cajedo, Khabib Nurmagomedov, and John Jones. Now, that was from 10 to 1. So, John Jones being at number 1. And for all you guys that are Conor McGregor fans, don't worry, I got your statistics on that boy too. He's sitting at number 12 for the pound-for-pound fighters and rankings in UFC. Now, what's controversial about this, I'd say, not really much. From what I'm seeing, I think Amanda Nunes could be just a little bit higher, mainly because she's been very dominant from what I've been seeing her past few fights. She's literally, like, kicking kicking everybody's ass. Like, if you look at her wins, especially her, her recent wins, she's beaten Ronda Rousey. She's beaten Holly Holm. She's beaten Chris Cyborg. She's beaten Misha Tate. And these aren't scrubs. The people she's beating, not only is she beating, she's neither knocking them out or beating them convincingly. She's beating these great fighters. Everyone that I just named were great. And she's just smashing them. She's dominating them. So with that being said, I can definitely see her moving up just a little bit in the rankings. To me, like I said, the, 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 the top 1 through 10 seem pretty accurate to me. Israel Adesanya is definitely making his strides. You know, he definitely wasn't top 10 a few years ago. But you could certainly make the case he's top 10 now. 
There's a lot of people who think Khabib Nurmagomedov and John Jones should switch from one and two, with John Jones being at two and Khabib Nurmagomedov being at one. It's very controversial, and I can see why people, a lot of people would say that because I've never really watched Khabib fight until recently, and this dude is a dog. This guy wrestles bears for a living. Who doesn't want to just see this man fight? He definitely deserves to be number one. But I'm sorry, I'm going to have to go with my man, John Bones Jones. Even though the last fight I seen him fight with Thiago Santos gave him a run for his money, I'm still going to go with my guy, John Bones. He's the greatest to ever do it, in my opinion. In terms of statistics, my man's sitting at 24-1. He's got about 10 knockouts. He's got about 6 wins in submission. My man's defended his title about 9 times, and he's only 31 years old. Now, 31 years old, you could make the case that's somewhat old. But he's still got a long way to go, ladies and gentlemen. He ain't finished. There's a lot of things that people want to see, especially when it comes to fights. There's a lot of fights that people are anticipating coming up. I don't want to see John Jones versus Daniel Cormier again. I know a lot of people want to see it again, but for what? John Jones has beat him pretty convincingly the first two times when they fought. A lot of people definitely want to see Stipe versus Daniel again, which I wouldn't mind seeing that again because Daniel Cormier has said that that he wants to fight Stipe and that what that could be possibly his last fight. I'm all for that. I'm definitely all for that. But in terms of the top 10 rankings, I definitely don't have a problem with it. Some people some people in the audience might have a problem with it. Some of my buddies who watch UFC and MMA might have a problem with it. There's only a few adjustments I would make. Like I said, Amanda Nunes, you can definitely move her up a little bit. Stipe Miocic, I guess you can kind of move him down by moving Amanda Nunes up. Other than that, I honestly don't have a problem with the top 10. I really don't. So one, another thing that I kind of want to talk about in regards to UFC is Conor McGregor. Now, he's been, you know, basically the face of the UFC for the past two, three years. Besides him fighting Floyd Mayweather in the boxing ring, you know, he's just been a sensation. Don't get me wrong, McGregor's a dog. I'm not a fan, but I know a dog when I see one. His overall record sits at 21 and 4. About 18 of his 21 wins are by knockout. Just just let that sink in for a minute. 18 of his 21 wins are by knockout. So you goes to show he's a pretty entertaining fighter. For good reason. Now, when we will we ever see McGregor back in the octagon, octagon again? Excuse me. Will we ever see him in the octagon again? Probably. I don't see why we wouldn't. There's been a lot of uh, rumors saying that he wants to box again. I think he should, uh, you know, calm down on the whole boxing thing. The only reason why I say that is because when he fought Floyd, you could tell he's not ready to box. He's just not. He's a pure MMA fighter. That's what he is. That's what he always will be. And that's fine. He's good at it, so he should continue doing it. There's there's only a few people I'd like to see McGregor really fight. I don't want to see McGregor versus Khabib again, mainly because I just I truly, be, I truly believe Khabib will just win convincingly again. There's a lot of people that think Tony Ferguson and Khabib should fight. I would like to see that. That's definitely something I think a lot of UFC fans would like to see. To be honest, I would love to see a McGregor versus Nate Diaz 3. I think that fight needs to happen. And I think it needs to happen soon. Because the first two fights 
apparently to Conor McGregor fans, were controversial. You know, you ask me, I think Nate Diaz won both fights. There's a lot of people who think Nate Diaz won one, McGregor won one. There's a lot of people who think McGregor won both. The reason why I'm talking about this to begin with because it's very controversial. But what I'm saying is, I would much rather see Nate Diaz and McGregor fight than McGregor or Khabib or, or McGregor and Tony Ferguson. You know, just... I, I just don't see why... I don't see why Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor don't fight again. I think it has to happen. One Nate Diaz won one, Conor McGregor won one. It has to be solved. It's going to be solved one way or another, I believe. So the next topic I want to talk about in regards to UFC is John Jones. And will he remain top dog for as long as he's been top dog? Excuse me. Will I think he remain top dog as long as he in it? he's in the UFC? Absolutely. From what I've seen from John Jones and how he fights, you know, it's very unusual. You know, like a lot of people don't fight like him. And I think that bodes well for him. That's a that's a benefit for him. And the fact that he's such a loose fighter and the fact that he just fights like no one else, that makes it all the more entertaining. John Jones has faced some freaks, man. Gustafson, Cormier, Santos. There's a lot of people, man. And like I said, that last fight with Santos, he gave him a run for his money. I actually wouldn't mind seeing John Jones and Santos, Tiago Santos fighting again. I wouldn't mind seeing that whatsoever. Hell, I wouldn't mind seeing John Jones and Stipe Miocic fight. That would be pretty good. Although I think John Jones would win those fights, which is why I believe he will remain top dog in the UFC. That's definitely something a lot of people would definitely look forward to. So that's the end of the UFC topic. I kind of want to jump over to college football and college hoops. So what I'm going to be talking about college football is a little bit about how I talked about the NFL season, how it's kind of played out. You know, there's been a lot of upsets like there normally is. You know, the Heisman predictions is just all over the place. You know, you got Jonathan Taylor possibly winning it. Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, Tua Tagovailoa was an option before he got hurt. You know, it's just... It's very controversial and it's exactly why I'm going to be talking about it. So first, who I'm going to be talking about my Heisman predictions. There's a couple people that come to mind when it comes to Heisman predictions. You could consider Jalen Hurts, Jonathan Taylor. A couple of other honorable mentions that I'd like to throw out there are Joe Burrow and Ohio State's J.K. Dobbins. J.K. Dobbins, man, is a beast. Everyone I just named is a beast. But what I'm getting ready to say about Joe Burrow and J.K. Dobbins, I feel as though they don't get as much recognition as Jalen Hurts or Jonathan Taylor or Tua Tagovailoa or Trevor Lawrence, whoever you want to name as your Heisman candidate. I just feel as though Joe Burrow and J.K. Dobbins don't get that respect. I think you could pick, there's a multitude of people who can win Heisman. Obviously, Jalen Hurts, Jonathan Taylor. But if I'm going to have to pick one solid Heisman candidate who I think will definitely win it all, I think it's going to be Joe Burrow. Now, a lot of people might disagree because, you know, Jalen Hurts is absolutely balling. But let me explain why I'm going to choose Joe Burrow. When I see Joe Burrow play, he looks calm. He looks like he's been there before. On top of that, in major games that he's played in, he doesn't just play average. He plays lights out. He plays great. Now, you know, Jalen Hurts plays pretty decent in big games. I guess you could say Jonathan Taylor plays good in big games. 
J.K. Dobbins plays good in general. But Joe Burrow, if you've seen LSU and who they played so far, and how they performed when they played their opponents, it's like nonchalant. It's like they've been there before. It's like this is easy to them, and it really shouldn't be because they're playing teams like Auburn, Florida, just great teams, great defensive teams at that, and he's just dicing them up. I need everyone to watch Joe Burrow play if you haven't watched him play already. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So the next thing I want to talk about in terms of college football is who's going to make the playoffs. That's the big question at the beginning of the year. That's the big question that goes through everybody's head during the year and when it finally happens. So it is a four-team playoff system, which I think should be eight. Eventually, it might turn into eight. But it's a four-team playoff system, so that means only four teams will make playoffs and have a chance to win it all. So if I were to pick four teams right now that I believe could make playoffs, you know, I was going to pick Oklahoma before they ended up getting upset. I could have picked Georgia, but, you know, they got upset. But I'm going to go with Alabama, LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson. I think I'm going to have to go with those four. Now, that might seem like the ideal top four teams that everyone picks. But from what I'm seeing from those four teams, I just don't see how they don't make the playoffs, if you know what I mean. Now, if I could take a team out of there to replace another one with, it would probably be Ohio State with Penn State. I can see either one of those teams making the playoffs. I mean, Penn State and Ohio State play each other this year. So that might ultimately decide who makes it. You never know. We're going to have to wait and see. So, you know, the next topic that I'm going to want to cover about college football is I just want to talk about some teams that have really surprised so far. You know, some teams that are kind of overrated to me. So some of the teams that surprised me so far, I'm going to start with the Baylor Bears. They're sitting at 8-0 right now, looking good in the Big 12. Who would have thought Baylor would be this good right now? You would have thought Robert Griffin would be their peak. Then everything would be downhill from there. Nope. They're doing just fine. Baylor's actually a team that I could see sneaking into the playoffs, you know, if they get more convincing wins on their resume and more upsets happen. More upsets happening are bound to happen. That's the beauty of college football. So the possibility of them making the playoffs isn't high, but it's there. The the possibility is there. They're ranked like, what, 12? I think 11 or 12 or something like that. So who's to say that they can't win a few more games and watch a few of the teams that are above them collapse? That can certainly happen. Another team that surprised me a little bit is SMU, who sits at 8-0 as well. You know, with them being in that conference, you know, you don't really expect them to get that kind of respect. Forget where they are in the rankings. I know they're ranked. They're definitely in the top 25. But the fact that they're 8-0 right now, the fact that they're, you know, just dominating teams as they are, it's pretty surprising. So the last team that I want to talk about is LSU, Louisiana State University. So why I find them to be surprising is because part of the reason why I picked Joe Burrow to win Heisman, it's because not only is Joe Burrow playing well, but that whole team is playing great. They're playing as if they've been there before. 
You know, and that's something a lot of these teams really aren't doing, if you know what I mean. So, you know, I take that into consideration, and I think, you know, LSU, they're, they are surprising. I, I, the only reason why I say they're surprising is because they're sitting at number one. You know, I expect them to be top 25 good, but not ranked number one overall good. Forget when they play Alabama, but when they do, it's going to be a one versus two, and boy, oh boy. It's going to be a great game, I can tell you that. So, so a couple of teams are a little bit overrated to me. And this is going to be the last topic that I talk about in terms of college football. So, some of the teams that just seem a little overrated to me, I'm going to give you three of them. The first one is Texas A&M, good old Jimbo Fisher. The team currently sits at 4-3. and three. You know, they're in the SEC, so you got to... Kind of have to give them the benefit of the doubt of playing great teams. But still, Texas A&M, you know, they get good recruits every year. They got a good coach in Jimbo Fisher. They should be better than 4-3, and three, let's be honest. I think if you're an Aggie fan, I think if you're a college football fan in general, I think you look at A&M and say, wow, you guys should definitely be playing better. You guys should be up there with the top dogs in the SEC. Hey, that's just me. That's just my personal opinion. The next team is also an SEC team, the good old Georgia Bulldogs. Currently sitting at seven and one, you know that that loss to South Carolina really hurt them. I know for a fact that hurt them crazy. Everyone knows that they shouldn't have lost to them, but they did. And guess what? They probably won't make playoffs just because of that one little loss they got. Only reason why I say Georgia is overrated is because you know they're one of those teams that you know it's their year every year. I, I could throw about three or four more teams on this overrated list, but I'm just going to stick with three for now. You know, that could be a topic for another day about what other teams are overrated. But I'm sticking with Georgia because, you know, it's their year every year. You know, Kirby Smart and the Bulldogs are supposed to run the table every year, and they don't. Somehow, some way, they just fold. And that's part of the reason why I say they're overrated. So the last team that I have is overrated, and I know a lot of my friends are not going to be okay with this when I say this. A lot of people that are listening to this might not be okay with me when I say this, but I don't give a fuck. The Ohio State Buckeyes. Yeah, you heard that right. The Ohio State Buckeyes. You are overrated as all hell, and let me explain why. You guys are in the same category as Georgia, as Michigan, as Texas, when it comes to, oh, it's our year every year. Now, you guys have more of a case than Georgia. You guys are slightly less overrated than they are. And you guys are slightly less overrated than Texas A&M. But the reason why I'm calling you guys overrated to begin with is because you guys got hella talent. You guys always have hella talent. Yet, it always comes down to an Iowa team or a Purdue team or some team that has no business beating you guys, ruining it for you. It's unnecessary. Don't come to everyone saying, oh, this is our year. Go Buckeyes. Then fuck around and lose to Purdue by 20. Don't do that. That makes no sense. You guys are good. Don't get me wrong. I had a discussion with one of my friends who is an Ohio State fan. And I told him that, like, you know, Ohio State is good. Don't get me wrong. But you guys can still be overrated and good at the same time. And he's confused as to why I'm saying they're overrated. And the main reason why I say you guys are overrated is because who do you guys play? 
Please tell me what what great team have you guys played? I just got done telling you all the great teams LSU and Joe Burrow has had to play. They're they're at number one. Why are they at number one? Because they have a good resume. Ohio State is not number one because you guys don't have a good resume. I'm sorry, you guys are good. Don't get me wrong. Can you guys make playoffs? Yes. Can you guys win it all? Yes. But until you guys do, you're overrated to me. Period. Point blank. So that's the end of the college football topic. I'm going to jump into the college basketball topic to start with the hoops. I'm not going to dive too deep into it, mainly because the season hasn't started yet. But I'm just going to go over a little bit of things like what to expect. You know, I'm going to discuss the top 25 teams, the preseason pools. And I'm going to talk to you about some teams to watch for and some players to watch for. You know, I'm going to talk about the Duke-North Carolina rivalry and all that good stuff. So let's begin. So the top 25 consists of 1 through 25 and it goes as follows. Michigan State, Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, Louisville, Florida, Maryland, Gonzaga, North Carolina, Villanova, Virginia, Seton Hall, Texas Tech, Memphis, Oregon, Baylor, Utah State, Ohio State, Xavier, St. Mary's, Arizona, LSU, Purdue, Auburn, and VCU. So, ladies and gentlemen, that is your top 25 preseason pools for the college basketball season. Now, one reason why I'm bringing that up is because I kind of want to just give you a little bit of overview of how I feel about it. Now, this is just a preseason pool. It's definitely subject to change when the season starts. But I think, for the most part, this is pretty accurate in terms of ranking. You know, I don't think much will change when the actual regular season pools come out. Having Michigan set at number one is actually perfect because for me watching them in the tournament last year, they could have won it all last year. And from what I've seen coming into this year, they got a lot of returning seniors and juniors. They got a lot of ballers on their team. You know, Coach Izzo got them right. Coach Izzo got them right where they want them. They have all the opportunity in the world to win it all this year, which is why they're sitting at number one. One team that kind of surprises me in these rankings is North Carolina at number 9. I feel as though they could be a little higher up there with Duke. They probably eventually will climb into the rankings as they normally do. But them being at number 9, I feel as though they could be a little bit higher. You know, they got some good recruits. They always get good recruits. But as far as being number 9, I feel as though they could be just a smidge higher. Another team that kind of surprises me in this top 25 is, I'm going to say, VCU at 25. You know, VCU, I can remember I can remember Coach Smart, Shaka Smart, coaching them. And they were a beast. I know they got a new coach and all, but, you know, VCU can definitely run the table, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if you guys are too into the college basketball, but I know VCU can make strides. So the next topic I kind of want to cover for college basketball is the Duke and North Carolina rivalry. You know, this is probably one of the biggest rivalries in sports history. You know, you got your Ohio State versus Michigan. You got your Steelers versus Baltimore Ravens. You got Dodgers versus Giants. You got, you know, just a plethora of great rivalries in sports history. But none, in my personal opinion, not too many college rivalries or sports rivalries in general come close to North Carolina versus Duke. So why I'm bringing them up is... I'm going to give you guys a prediction who I think is going to be the better team this year. And I'm going to go with the Duke Blue Duke. The, excuse me. The Duke Blue Devils. 
And I'm picking Duke because Coach K. Flat out Coach K. Coach K is my dude. Coach K knows his shit. It's the reason why he's coaching Team USA and not Roy Williams. Don't get me wrong. That's my guy too. He Williams knows what he's doing in North Carolina. He definitely knows what he's doing. In terms of talent, though, Duke just always got it. Duke just always seems to have North Carolina's number when it matters most. If you're going to ask me, I'm going to have to go with the Duke Blue Devils, man. They got their numbers. So, the last topic that I want to cover about college hoops, I just want to give you guys some teams to look out for and some players to look out for when it comes to making a run in the tournament, in the NCAA tournament this year. So... Starting with a team to watch for, watch out for the Memphis Tigers, man. Coach Penny Hardway got these young boys right. He recruited two five-star recruits and a couple of big-time four-star recruits as well. You know, from what I've been told, from what I've been seeing as well, Hardaway is a great coach. And I expect him to be a problem this season with the way they recruited and with Hardaway being a coach the way he is. You know, Memphis... Memphis got it. They're currently sitting at 14 in the top 25, and they could certainly make strides during the season. So the last team that I want to bring up is, and I mentioned them already, is VCU. You know, they got a new coach, Mike Rhodes, and he's entering his second season as head coach, who replaced who I already mentioned, Shaka Smart, who I think is a great coach as well. To me, Rhodes seems like a defensive-minded coach from what I could tell, and he definitely has the recipe for success. You ask me, don't expect them to be at number 25 for long. I can definitely see them being in a top 10 at the end of the season. Might not be, might not be. You know, we're going to have to see. That's going to be something we're going to have to wait and see, ladies and gentlemen. So that's basically it for the college hoops subject. So I'm going to jump into the last subject, which is playoff baseball. And like I said, I'm not going to dive too deep into that because the season just ended. You know, we got the Astros losing to the Nationals 4-3, which... Honestly, I'm blown away. I don't know about you guys, but I'm blown the fuck away. Astros have the complete team. And, you know, a lot of people like to give the Dodgers grief about having a great team and folding under pressure. But if the Astros don't scream folding under pressure, then I don't know what will. They got their three-headed monster, Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, and Zach Greinke throwing heat. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, from what I've seen, they all three play decent. Justin Verlander kind of folded he kind of choked which is surprising because he played well majority of the playoffs but when it came to the world series he did kind of choke i'm just honestly blown away i don't know what else to say that playoffs in general was pretty fun to watch if i do say so myself as a dodgers fan i was disappointed about the results and the outcome of the season but in terms of how fun it was to watch playoff baseball it was certainly fun so another topic that I want to cover about playoff baseball is, you know, some of the pitchers that I've seen that were playing great throughout the entire playoffs. I just want to bring up a couple of pitchers, one of them being Steven Strasburg from the Nationals. Dude is an absolute animal, actually won MVP, I believe, of the World Series. Dude's a beast. Not sure if he's a free agent next year, but if he is, he's going to get big time money. So another pitcher that I want to you know, recognizes Garrett Cole. Coming from the Pirates, you know, I know a lot of my Pirates fans, a lot of my guys who are Pirates fans are pretty sick about this. But, you know, Garrett Cole, you guys lost You guys lost a good one. That's all I'm going to say. He's a beast. 
you know, he's a free agent as well coming up this season. And I think he's made it evident that he doesn't want to play for the Astros anymore. So no matter where he goes, he's getting paid. Trust me. Garrett Cole is going to be getting paid. So the last thing I kind of want to cover in terms of playoff baseball, well, just baseball in general, I want to give you guys some of my predictions on next year, or, you know, who I think is going to be good, you know, some of the people who I think are going to be one MVP, the Cy Youngs and stuff like that. Well, this year, I'm going to have to go with Mike Trout winning the AL MVP. For the NL MVP, I'm going to have to go with my guy, Cody Bellinger. Now, I'm not being biased because I would have picked Christian Yelich to win it had he not gotten injured. I believe he got injured right before playoffs or it was, I can't remember when he got injured, but he was playing great. He was playing better than almost anyone, even Cody Bellinger. So as of now, I'm going to have to give it to Cody. He played good all season. He could have played better in the playoffs, but you know, he's young. He'll learn. So in terms of Cy Young candidates, you know, the AL Cy Young award, I'm going to have to give it to my guy, Garrett Cole. You know, he pitched his balls out this year. Played great, and that's why he's going to be getting paid big-time money. He's going to be getting paid crazy. So the NL Cy Young, I'm going to have to give it to Jacob DeGrom. So I watched him pitch a couple times recently, and, you know, he just doesn't pitch like a normal pitcher. He doesn't pitch like how you expect a great pitcher to pitch. He's, like, basically in a league of his own. And I'm actually surprised the Mets were planning on shopping him before the trade deadline approached. I'm actually real surprised they were going to do that. I... I honestly couldn't believe it when I seen the headlines about that. But that's just my opinions on that. So that's going to basically wrap up what the playoff baseball and what I'm going to be talking about that. And that's basically to sum up my podcast. I'm going to thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening to my first ever episode of my first ever podcast. I appreciate you guys so much. If you haven't already done so, please give my podcast a follow on all the major mainstream social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that. Please give it a follow for all updates and information regarding the podcast. I will be expanding the availability of the podcast to Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. When I will be doing that will be determined. I have yet to find out, but I will. Trust me. And that's all I got for you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate all you guys. That's a wrap. I'll see you guys later.